This week on Log It, we are here to discuss Rear Window, 1954, Alfred Hitchcock, written by John Michael Hayes, based on Cornell Woolrich's 1942 short story, It Had to Be Murder, Jimmy Stewart, Grace Kelby, Thelma Ritter, Wendell Corey, the classic, our first Hitchcock film on the show, which is intimidating, but it needed to be done at some point. I'm here today with a very special guest, our very own artist, or resident artist, Sunflower Pop Shop, a.k.a. Becca, a.k.a. my wife. She is here to talk last four, talk rear window, talk favorite movie snacks. Very excited to have her on. Becca, welcome to Log It. Thanks. Hello. (laughs) How do you pick the scenes for the movie art? Well, if I like the movie and I watch it, I shouldn't say that. I should always watch the movie. (laughs) No, be honest. You don't always watch the movie with me. That's okay. No, I don't always watch the movie with you. You work full time also. I tried to watch the movie with you, though, because I feel like if I don't watch it myself, then I'm kind of just like scrolling through Google images, you know, and just like trying to find something that somebody else has already found. And like, it's fun to do famous scenes in that way, but also it's funner when I watch the movie and I actually see stuff that I find interesting. And then I'm like, oh, I want to draw that. And I'll make a note. And yeah, you usually have a lot of options. You'll have three or four pictures you picked. Or, you know, screenshots you picked, and then you have to pick one for time. Yeah. October, though, I went pretty ham. You did a lot of good stuff in October. super into all the horror. That was a fun month. We had a lot of good stuff that month. Um, Good art, good guests, good podcasts. Well, I know you're familiar, somewhat familiar with the show. So we're going to do last four. Last week we had Josh on. And I forgot to do favorite movie snack before last four, but I'm going to remember today. What are your favorite movie snacks? Favorite movie snacks. Controversial. I do like popcorn, but in the privacy of my own home. Not like if I'm at a theater. I still like it at a theater, but I have like internal struggles <laughs> because it's so loud. And like, I don't want people to like hear me rustling my hand in the bag. And I'm yeah. like very judgmental <laughs> of other people. <laughs> And when they are rustling their hand in their bag, and it doesn't even have to be popcorn, it's like any treat. Yeah. (laughs) That I will immediately like dart my eyes at the person in the audience and like stare at them until they quit. (laughs) Like almost like they can feel me staring at them. And you're married to me who has decided to take up anti-popcorn position. (laughs) (laughs) So there's probably a little pressure there. Um, (laughs) I think everybody who I've asked has voted popcorn as one of their favorite movie snacks. Yeah, we do have, we do eat popcorn a lot at home while we watch movies. That's a good choice. What's your favorite drink? Soda, obviously. But I feel like that has become more of a thing as an adult. I like a good caffeinated soda. I fall asleep more frequently in movies as an adult as well, too. So anything to keep me awake. Um, But when I was a kid, I really was a good fan of uh, 
cherry slush. <laughs> I liked those. <laughs> They're the best. Every time I'd go to the movies, we would get one and popcorn and maybe candy too. <laughs> Did you ever mix a cherry slush with Diet Coke? No, never. <laughs> That's it's you delicious. think. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are good choices. You also get Sprite, I'll say. I feel like lately you've been, maybe not at the movies, but one of your drinks of choices. Anti-caffeine, choice. yeah. One of your choices, drink choices, yeah. But you do fall asleep during movies a lot. I would say you've probably watched 75% of almost all the movies we've done on Log It. <laughs> at least. You finish a lot of them too, but <laughs> we were talking the other day and I was thinking about how you fall asleep a lot during movies and I think about the movies we watched together and just kind of just assume you probably saw the whole thing. But in reality, there's probably a lot of movies that I think we like a lot that you've never actually seen the ending to. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. It's pretty Name weird <laughs> to think about. Because <laughs> sometimes I'll talk to you like, that was crazy. And you'll be like, I don't remember that. Yeah, what was... Like, I assumed we had finished it at some point, but I guess not. <laughs> there was... Oh, Zodiac. Family favorite. I still don't know if I've ever seen the very ending. I must admit, we watch it all the time and I get very far. <laughs> but then it, inevitably <laughs> I will fall asleep. And it's not because I don't like it. It's just because I am, I don't know, partially narcoleptic. I don't know. Yeah, I think we were talking about it and you're like, man, do they ever figure out who it is? I'm like, <laughs> I mean, basically, don't he goes and talks to him at the end. So, like, it's Lee Allen, and you're like, I don't remember that. I'm like, have you never seen the end? <laughs> we probably. <laughs> I mean, I think I've logged that like three or four times, and I we put it on a lot where we just kind of hang out and watch it. So we we put it on a lot more than I've I've logged it. It's pretty great. I mean, that's you're just saving it. You're just saving it. You have a whole new experience. A lot of people wish they could relive that experience you'll get to live it eventually. It's totally true though, right? Not finishing it or like falling asleep in the middle and then like watching the ending. Then it just allows for me to like rewatch it again and then it's new. So exactly. it's just like brand new content. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I can just keep rewatching it over and over again. I'll just fall asleep during different parts and then have new things to watch. Brand new content. <laughs> And each time you rewatch the first three quarters of the movie, you get to all the mystery is still there. So each time it's like, wow, where is this going? It's I true. Actually don't know. <laughs> it's true. You know, I do that a lot with the things that I fall asleep to just to like fall asleep at night as well. Like I'll watch an entire uh, television series, but I'll never watch the last episode. I'll just like rewatch the first like handfuls of episodes over and over and over again to fall asleep too. So then I like know what to expect, but don't like there's still the mystery of what's going yeah. what's to come. Yeah. <laughs> it, there's a, a logic to that. that <laughs> Maybe. <makes> <sense. laughs> Maybe. I like it. <laughs> um you know teach their own they're you know there's no wrong way to watch a movie there are lots of wrong ways to watch movies that's not true at all <laughs> in our house for sure <laughs> <I can> watch <laughs> it. next 
we're going to get into last four. Technically, you do not use letterbox, so this isn't officially last four. But we'll do it anyway. What have you been watching? Real Housewives. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but seriously, I mean, I have been watching Real Housewives. Yes, you do love Real Housewives. <laughs> I ironically watch lots of reality television. Which Real Housewives have you been watching? Uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is currently on my queue. <laughs> which one's your favorite? Uh, which one out of the out of the different? series or which character yeah which real housewife no which real housewife um, location mm. it's hard to it's hard to say salt lake city is pretty <laughs> crazy <laughs> and a fun one um i like beverly hills a lot i've watched a large majority of them though <laughs> they're all very fun in their own way <laughs> i think the salt lake one i've heard a lot about it's pr- i think it's kind of cra- one of the crazier ones right yeah it's pretty wild um salt lake city has a pretty wild cast of characters. Jen Shaw, she's pretty wild. Some scandal, but Beverly Hills also has some scandal too. Pretty fun. <laughs> no, but movies. Uh, we've been watching Studio Ghibli movies. We have been lately. watching a lot of Studio Ghibli. Very fun. I haven't watched much anime in my life, though I'm recommended often. But um, this was one that Studio Ghibli is one that I've always. I've, we've watched it a couple of them, but. Yeah, we've seen a few, but never, never really like dove into them and got immersed in it. I feel like no, I wasn't like super familiar with all of the famous characters. Now yeah. I love them. Totoro, <laughs> we know very well now. Yep. So I we watched Howl's Moving Castle was a fun one. Also, that one was really good. The, that one was also maybe one of my favorites too. Love yeah. that how she gets turned into the old lady. She is. Hilarious. I want to be her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know getting old would hurt so bad. <laughs> and then she just, you know, when you're old, you you don't care about what other people think. And you just, <laughs> she's like. She takes up to her. it so quickly. She's like, all right, I'm old now. And she just, just owns yeah, it. She Very totally, inspiring. She just. uh comes to terms with it and uh, <laughs> moves on and start, starts uh, hiking up that hill to try to go find yeah. the witch to, that did it to her. <laughs> we also watched Kiki's Delivery Service. That was the first one that we watched in this, this round. That was a fun one. So she turns, what is it? She turns 13 and she has to go out like basically on an, on like a, an adventure to like learn how to use her powers and find some kind of like purpose right yeah. for her for her powers well, on her niche kind of which is wild she's like 13 years old and her her family are like okay just leave get Go out ahead. Here. and she's like walking on the streets like are you gonna let me live with you <laughs> <laughs> and then falls asleep on a train and just ends up in a new town and is like you guys don't have a witch right <laughs> perfect <laughs> what do you do uh um, but then she becomes the next big uh, Amazon on boom, Broomstick. <laughs> yep, yep. She's ahead of her time. We watched Arietti was another. Secret World of Arietti was Ghibli awesome. one, yeah. Um, which is a fun one based on the book The Borrowers, which is also a movie, too, from like the 90s, I think. Yeah, which that kind of blew my mind because I didn't know they were both based on like the same book series. Yeah, which is so funny. 
I read the books. I didn't really read them consistently, but um, I remember in like elementary school, they had them and, and reading, reading about them. Yeah. Just the, the same cute little teeny tiny little family. <laughs> that movie had one of my favorite, AKA most hated villains of all time. The, the nanny nurse, like maid lady that lives with the aunt. She was horrible. She very effective. I hated her so much. She she was trying to catch the family the whole movie and exterminate them. She literally called exterminators. And um she just was very excited about it. And like where does she get off? Like <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like she she doesn't even she does she doesn't even own the home. She just works there and she just, just takes it upon herself. She could just yeah. That lady who she works for is so She's so content with like, yes, my father used to speak about the borrowers and she hopes they're real too. She was, she seems excited she, about the process. She seemed lovely. Yeah. yeah. And like, so she would have loved those borrowers and would have let them use that legit, you know, miniature kitchen. But of course that, uh, horrible <laughs> maid. She's she just, just so like, excited to, to catch them and cause pain. <laughs> <laughs> like fuels her you yeah. got this like wild look in her eyes and like this it was personal cheshire grin yeah <laughs> but it, it triggered me i hated her <laughs> yeah she was pretty terrible we also watched the cat returns which was really fun where they go to the cat kingdom joshua yeah. recommended that one who's on the show last week where he talked about the vast of night it was very very fun that's a good episode but the cat returns was great they go to the Cat Kingdom. It's another one with like miniatures. Studio Ghibli loves miniatures and they love nice princes. Yep. They're like mini people in giant worlds with small, cute things. And then the princes are always great. And um, Howl's Moving Castle, Turnip Head turns into a prince and is cool. And then the Cat Returns, the Cat Kingdom is the Cat Prince. Great guy. Dad, Cat King is a jerk. <laughs> he's trying to kidnap uh the main character and get her to marry his son and the son doesn't even want it he's a classic grouchy cat <laughs> great guy the prince was yeah but turnip head yeah he's like she true love transforms him and yeah she's like nah i'm gonna be with howl and yeah, it's he's like just the frog like prince but... it's cool no worries yeah. <laughs> that's Nobody fine takes it personal <laughs> no he's like thank you for giving me my life back and that's totally fine i don't i don't want to be with you either <laughs> yeah i love turnip head he was my favorite <laughs> him turning out to be a prince was a little bit of a bummer but i liked him a lot still such a good guy before being the prince when he's still turnip head, great turnip head. Prince, great prince. <laughs> great turnip head. I'd like a turnip head like him. He seemed very helpful, very kind. These these movies, we watched a couple that had cool little casting uh, things. In My Neighbor, My Neighbor Totoro, the sisters were played by real life sisters, Dakota and Elle Fanning, and they were really, really good in it. And then in... Secret World of Arietti. Arietti's parents are played by Will Arnett and Amy Poehler, who at the time, I believe, were married, but maybe they weren't yet. But at one point, they were married in life. No longer are. But it was cool. Both of them were really good. Elle Fanning and Dakota Fanning, though, were really good. I think that's like a big reason why 
My Neighbor Totoro is so good. Or just how much they sold those characters. Yeah, they're so sweet together. They really have lovely chemistry. Yeah. They're cute little voices. <laughs> they're very sweet. Any last thoughts on Studio Ghibli or anything else you've been watching you want to talk about? Outside of, uh, yeah, Rear Window, Which we'll get course. to, we'll get to. And uh, Real Housewives, <laughs> yeah. Rear Window, Real Housewives, little Paris, uh, <laughs> Paris Hilton thrown in there <laughs> for good measure. No, but that in Studio Ghibli pretty much yeah. wraps it up for Perfect. me. <laughs> well, I'll run through my last four real quick. Last, fourth last, farthest away, Howl's Moving Castle, which we talked about. Beautiful movie. The animation was really, really cool in that one. Howl's Castle specifically, I thought was like incredible. And like, I wanted to take screenshots and frame them all because it just really was a beautiful thing, um, the way they animated it. We watched Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix after that, which was really bad. I It's aged horribly. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> it was really awkward. I just, I was like, throughout the, we were watching it together. And I just couldn't help but be like, what, what is this? And rip Harry, into it. What the hell? Like, General Harry wasn't working. <laughs> I don't think it's like super accurate to the books. After that, we watched. 1954's Rear Window, the more famous of the two. After that, we watched 1998's Rear Window, the less famous of the two, which uh, was really not a great movie. None of the magic of the original Rear Rear Window. Christopher Reeve is in it, who plays a paraplegic character. He was paraplegized in real life for a horse accident. And it was it was interesting. It's a it's a TV movie, a telefilm, as Wikipedia described it, which you can really feel it. But it's kind of fun because there we used to, I feel like it was very nostalgic watching it. It reminded me a lot of watching TV in the nineties, <laughs> with the kind of flavor that everything had in in that time in that uh, medium. Fun soundtrack. What soundtrack? <laughs> no, just fun. Fun, fun soundtrack. Old, yeah, yeah, very nineties soundtrack. Yeah. But I thought it'd be good since we knew we were doing this episode. Um, And then nothing else for me. So shall we get into Rear Window? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. We'll take a quick break and be back with that. There's no doubt. Rear Window is a film you can watch again and again. Also, again, the story doesn't matter. You know all the facts. You know what's going to happen. You know the plot. But it's the way, I think, um, two things. Again, the way Hitchcock shows it, which means where he aims the camera, what he puts in the frame, how he moves it, how he doesn't move it, the use of color, and Jimmy Stewart's character, who um, morally is on the edge, you see. Should he be doing what he's doing? It's none of his business, you know? It really is none of his business. What kind of a guy is this? And he's our hero. You know, we have to go through with him. And I think that's something, uh, again, that um, only Stewart could have pulled off. Uh, you like him. Because he's a very genial guy in the beginning of the picture, you know. But he goes off on some perverse trip. You know, it's very odd. We are back to talk Rear Window. Generally considered one of the best, like, movies ever made. I feel like most lists that rank them, it's on the top 100. 
It's one of our favorites. I would say it's one of my top 20 at least, probably higher than that, but safely I could say it's top 20. This is a great movie. (laughs) Uh, What else is there to say? See you next week. (laughs) Not much. Bye. (laughs) We picked this one because we love it a lot and we've put it on a lot. It's kind of appropriate. Or there's an irony, maybe. Hopefully it's ironic and not appropriate. But this is about a married couple and murder. <laughs> yeah. I think about it'd be funny. to. It's our first episode having you on the show. I was getting ideas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're excited to talk about it because it's, it's just a really nice movie. It's like very, it feels just like very much like you are. I mean, immersive is the right word, but I don't know. It's like a very comforting place to be in that little courtyard. What, um, what's kind of like your history with this movie or why did you pick it? You know, it's funny because I didn't even realize I just I have this very the my strongest memory, obviously, of this movie. I watched it in college and I, I was just thinking about it and I was like, yeah, I actually think that that was the very first time I ever had seen it. I went to a design school to not do design. (laughs) I did fine art, (laughs) but I took one design class. And um, my teacher at the, towards the end of the term, he gave us uh, an assignment to watch her window. And uh, I don't think he told us anything else other than just like watch it and pay attention (laughs) and that we were going to talk about it basically in the next day. The next class, um, and I think the next class was the last class for the for the term. And we came to class, and he was like, "Okay, so today we're going to talk about rear window. Um, everybody can take a piece of butcher paper and um, a pen, and I want you to draw on the paper your memory of the neighborhood <laughs> of mm-hmm. um, of." Uh, I can't remember the main character's name now. What's his name? Jeffries of his. I'll be Jeffries. Yes. Of his, of his um, neighborhood that he can see out his window from what you can remember from, from based off of what, from what you watched last night. And that was so hard. (laughs) And it just like, it was like a frantic mad dash of everybody in the room trying to like look over their, you know, shoulders and see what other people were drawing. And like my professor would, every once in a while come over and talk to you about it and be like, are you sure? Is that really how you remember it? And like, like actually, I don't know. I don't know. I thought that was how I remembered it. I don't know. It was an interesting, it was an interesting exercise in like many different things. I feel like um, paying attention to like, I don't know, like uh, scene. I can't, I don't know the movie terms, but like, you know, just like thinking set about how, set design, how scenes are laid out with like uh, different characters and like their, yeah. you know, like, I mean, we just when we just watched it, we were talking about how it really is crazy. These all of these characters, there's so many of them and they're all just like side characters that you don't know any of their names at all. But you mm-hmm. feel like, you know, like a whole like they have a whole story, like from start to finish, basically, you know, yeah. you feel like you know them. Yeah, you get to see really personal glimpses into their life where you, you really uh, connect with them, especially the more you watch it. It's like seeing your neighbors, you know. Yeah, it's like your neighbor. You're watching yeah. out your your window with him. 
spoiler, I do really bad on the on the <laughs> exercise. <laughs> but when we were thinking about it the other day, I feel like I feel like I've got it way better than I ever yeah. ever did well, you, before. <laughs> yeah, you told me about this exercise one of the first times we rewatched it, and since then, it, I always tried to pay really close attention and. At this point, we have it mapped out pretty good, I think. Yeah, I think I feel like I I think I feel like maybe like there's some spots where some blind spots were foggy, but like only on like very like outskirts where you like don't really see much. Yeah, the last time we watched it, we were paying really close attention because we knew we were going to talk about it on the podcast, and we noticed there's a whole floor above the top what we thought was the top floor so the apartment across the street there's three floors and uh there's another floor above it that we had never really realized and it's uh the young girls who sunbathe at the very beginning of the movie but they have like a whole apartment i thought it was just kind of like a rooftop thing uh that you can kind of see you only see it like two or three times in the movie but uh just in the idea of uh, paying attention and mapping it out even though i was really paying attention and th- thought we had it pretty good i'd never even fully realized that floor is like wait there are four floors like oh my gosh those girls i didn't even know they existed i didn't know that <laughs> yeah. they were <laughs> they were sunbathing and that the the whole helicopter stops yeah. and stares the guy stares yeah, he's checking at them, them out oh yeah they take their tops off which oh, totally. i never fully connect i never realized why the helicopter they show the helicopter i just thought he was looking at random things happening but uh once it connected you totally can see him leaning out looking down at them which seems you know incredibly dangerous probably should have his license (laughs) revoked he's so close to that building he's so close he crashed so easy yeah (laughs) and Um, lb jeffries is just sitting in his wheelchair just like laughing and mm. nice yeah watching you can see that introduction is so cool one, it tells the story of how he injured his leg through showing his photographs and his broken camera, which was a really fun um, way of doing like exposition and backstory. And second, you see the whole apartment building through his eyes while he's talking on the phone to his like editor or uh, coworker or whatever. And you're seeing like a photographer's eyes where, you know, and in very cinematic, you know, language as well. We're seeing these stories told through um, actions like he's noticing all these things happening and he's seeing like a story like, for example, the girl's sunbathing and then he sees the helicopter. You know, you could see that being like a, a photo of, um, you know a helicopter checking out these girls and um you know that's how we introduce the neighbors and so it's a really fun introduction that you know kind of establishes his character being a photographer and you know what how his mind works and then also you start to establish the courtyard that's going to be you know the stage for the rest of the movie that's so funny um because now that i think about it too i feel like all of the characters kind of have like a snapshot like that mm-hmm. like if you yeah. think about it like um the the dancer and her food like it's yep. like almost like every scene she's doing i mean she's she's dancing she's doing choreography but she's posing and she's like freeze framing and like taking a bite of her chicken leg and then like mm-hmm. 
you know, or like um, the, lady the newlyweds. Yes. The newlyweds. Yeah. Yep. The newlyweds like basically pose in the window to like yep. kiss or whatever, like that, you know, it's, all, it's basically like they're posing. The pianist um, uh, like chewing on his pencil, I think, yeah. while he's sitting at the piano. He's always kind of like almost like thinking man. Like, think- yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. It's really um, just a fun, a fun way to establish things visually, you know, instead of a lot of talking, which you do get some talking on the phone, which gives some backstory. But most of the details are set up through his perspective, really. And that's kind of how the movie plays out. But I guess to give some context for what this movie is about, in case you don't know, which is um, really cool if you don't. This is about L.B. Jeffries, photographer, very talented, very successful, breaks his leg photographing a race car race. And there's a crash that he gets a picture of. That's the picture we see at the beginning. He breaks his leg. He's got one week left, we learned on that phone call, in the cast. And then he's back to, you know, globe trotting and taking photos. Uh, but before, you know, he can heal up, he... Um, notices one of his neighbors doing some suspicious things and starts to think that, you know, maybe this neighbor killed his wife because the wife kind of disappears. L.B. Jeffries is played by James Stewart, the awesome little bit whiny James Stewart. (laughs) He has a really cool friend uh, who he's romantically involved with, but, you know, keeps at arm's length, played by Grace Kelly, and she is, like, amazing in this She's like just one of the best parts of the whole movie, I think. And uh, and a nurse who is also all awesome, Stella. And she is played by Thelma Ritter, who's great. And then, um, yeah, so basically he's stuck in a chair. He thinks that this guy murdered somebody. Nobody really believes him for most of the movie. Uh, and then the rest of the movie is him just trying to kind of figure out uh, what's going on. Just to frame it, one fun thing in researching the movie, I, there's some fun interviews with, uh, I, I never know if I'm saying it right, but Truffaut, but uh, Hitchcock and Truffaut, where they talk about all of his movies, it's it's very interesting. And um, specifically, they spend like about half an hour talking about Rear Window. And one of the cool things that Hitchcock talks about is how in his mind this rear window specifically was him trying to like embrace like the purest form of like cinema which is like show not tell basically is like how it's summed up now but using visuals to tell a story rather than words and i think in that interview literally says like what's worse than having somebody like explain something with words in a like in a movie when you can just show people like a play is where you use words to explain explain things in like a book but like movies are a visual medium and like uh, as much as possible you should use visual visuals to tell the story that makes a lot of sense he also talks about like in that regard using like again i don't think he calls it the coolest effect in this uh interview but it is known as like the Kuleshov effect now, which is basically the idea of like the series of images you show tell the story and can change the, the context. So like specifically using rear window, if you show LB Jeffries and you show him looking and then you show the girl sunbathing and then you go back to him and he's smiling, 
you're just going to see, you know, kind of a, a creepy guy perving on some girls. But if you show him looking out the window and then show, you know, a kid playing with their dog and then you show him smiling, it's kind of sweet and wholesome and shows that he's like tender and wholesome. Yeah. And then if you show, you know, the same two shots of LB Jeffries, but in the middle, you put somebody being murdered, you know, all of a sudden he looks like a psychopath, like, you know, sadist who um, is, you know, a, you know, real dark kind of creepy guy. And so this movie is like all Kuleshov effect where everything is framed through LB Jeffries looking out his window. They see something and then we see their reaction. And that's that's kind of how the whole movie is set up. So in his mind, this is like pure cinema and. um I, you know, I, I don't know what pure cinema is, but this is a really <laughs> good movie that I love. So <laughs> I think there's something to it. One piece of film, he looks. A morceau de film the second regarde. piece of film is what he sees film, ce voit. and his reaction. Et ses réactions. This was the cinematic motif all the way through the film. film. Uh, uh, proving... The, the three pieces of film uh, represent what we know as the purest expression of cinematic idea. So that definitely makes sense what you're saying about the show not tell Hitchcock saying that um, because I, I just remembered what I was going to say. Um, yeah. He, it makes sense because all of the images we only ever see visual images so we're led to conclusions based on those visual images and and yeah. jimmy stewart is always like making decisions and like conclusions based off of this what like very limited yeah visual representation these yeah. very like short snapshots of what he's seeing of these people so it makes a lot of sense for the theme of the movie since everything is yeah. like you're being led to to conclude like and you're you're wondering too if it's if it's in his head or not for a while and everybody's yes. questioning him and just thinking that he's like jumping to conclusions and being a busybody Rewatching it so much, you forget that the first time you watch it, you don't really know for sure if he's right. And you're kind of like, maybe he is just being a little like extra because he's bored. And yeah, you know, and he's kind of a jerk he's looking for something <laughs> like, to focus on. Yeah, yeah, he's just kind yeah. of a kind of a just pretty stick arrogant. in the mud. <laughs> yeah, maybe he is just picking on this guy. <laughs> and I mean, like what we've been saying, too, right? He's a he's a photographer. He like he's looking for images. So he's like maybe he's looking into these things like too much and like seeing things yeah. that he shouldn't see because he's that's what he does is he's trying to come yeah. up with a story like because he just does it inherently now. Like maybe he yeah. doesn't even like he doesn't even have to think about it. It just comes naturally and it could be completely fake yeah <laughs> in this case true <laughs> but it's wild and you know could have been wrong it makes sense yeah why lisa is like i don't know man lisa. like why are you <laughs> just let me feed you fancy food and be kind to me don't yeah. be a dick and tell me that the people across the street were murdered yeah yeah also that he's just avoiding uh marriage yeah so there's definitely the setup of like 
you should marry this girl. And he's like, no, nah, marriage is a trap. And so, yeah, and you know, it could just... be the subconscious way of just kind of pushing. Yeah. Keeping her at arm's length until he's out of town again. Totally. And he's just like, speaking of that, he's just like surrounded in that. Like, um, it's just constantly being thrown in his face. Other people in relationships and like yeah. different like variations of like the full spectrum of relationships uh, yeah, and like the apartments around him. The newlyweds, which could yeah. be him and and Lisa if he if he gave in and, yeah. you know, gave in. <laughs> um, the the couple that ends up, you know, the wife ends up getting murdered is mm-hmm. like his idea of like what's going to happen. Kind of the worst, nag, nag, worst nag. case. Yeah, just kind of you're going to end up hating each other no matter what. And then the um the couple with the dog who kind of don't don't have kids and have chosen, you know, to just, you know, put their love into the dog and each other. Miss Lonely Hearts downstairs who's old and never got married and is kind of desperate now for some some form of, you know, partnership with somebody. And that's a, another foil, I think. And then another representation of him too, uh, the struggling artist, the piano player guy who's just, yep. he's alone and he's just always trying to figure out his his internal thing, which is trying to make his art, which kind of feels like that's like a same, like a similar thing for, for Jimmy Stewart because he's stuck at this point where he can't, he can't make his art which is like his what he does that's his life i mean obviously like that's why he's like so strict on lisa coming with him to do it with him because he doesn't think that she can do it yeah yeah just berates her (laughs) it's so ridiculous and then she of course pulls out her you know every woman tote i don't remember what it's called but the the overnight bag and she can hang what the yeah, hell? <laughs> yeah, there's there's times in this movie where Grace Kelly is basically being just wonderful. You know, she makes him a lobster dinner that's like perfect. She has like the rest this nice restaurant come to the apartment and bring a full meal for them because he can't go out. And, you know, she's just really beautiful and sweet. And, you know, she's on the cover of a magazine. You know, we kind of also get the story of how they met through that which they never really explain, but, you know, it seems like he took a picture of her for like the cover of Time or Life magazine. And so we assume, um, you know, that's kind of where they connected. But there are times he's just being so mean to her. And I think he like, does he tell her to shut up in this like twice? Is that this movie or is that something else? Oh, yeah. At least once. Yeah. No, he does. Yeah. He literally is telling her to like shut up. And shut he's like, up. <sighs> anytime she's being nice, he tries to get some kind of like dig in at her where he's like, I could see you looking very handsome and successful in a dark blue flannel suit. Now, uh, let's stop talking nonsense, shall we? Hmm? I guess I'd better start setting up for dinner. Oh, it's enchanting. It's almost as if it were being written especially for us. No wonder he's having so much trouble with it. You can't say the dinner isn't right. Lisa, it's perfect. As always. A a, a true statement, but I can back it up if you just shut up for a minute. 
But if your opinion is as rude as your manner, I don't think I care to hear it. Oh, come on, now simmer down. You, I can't fit in he here, you can't fit in there. I mean, according to you, people should be born, live and die on the same spot. Shut up! So many little comments like that. And I felt like Mark Wahlberg and the other guys <laughs> yeah. were... <laughs> Will Ferrell's married to... Uh, Eva Mendes. <laughs> He's married to Eva Mendes, yeah, and she's he's just like horrible to her and just like Yeah, and she's just like gorgeous and like cooking gorgeous him and gourmet yes. meals and like <laughs> Mark Wahlberg's like, what is going on? Like Are you really Alan's wife? Mm, I know. People are shocked because he's Episcopalian and I'm Catholic, but somehow it works. <clears throat> are you gonna change? Ooh, I already did. It's no big deal. You look really, really nice. Terry, you don't have to be polite, okay? She looks kind of shitty. Don't speak to her like that, Alan. Look, if I put that in my Cosmo fashion app, you, you probably get a D minus. <laughs> yeah, I feel that way towards him in this. Where I'm, just, come on, dude, what are you doing? Well, like he can't even like accept her her beautiful picture that he took of her. He has to <laughs> yeah. keep a framed image of the negative, which yeah. looks so weird and not like you know traditionally like beautiful. It's like so. I don't know. Like about yeah, his view of it. Yeah, it's just it's just hilarious, and um, yeah, he, uh, he doesn't deserve her. That's all. I'll say. It's perfect <laughs> as always. Uh. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> um, should get out of there. Um, you talked about how Lisa is so. Um, she's like the the, the light best. of yeah, yeah of she, the movie. Yeah, literally. Yeah, totally. She's so funny too it, she um <laughs> the way that she's like so obstinate with him and like still like even though he's being a total like asshole to her she still is like well you know like that my favorite saying which i we told we've talked about this before um when <laughs> they've been fighting and he basically is like no you couldn't cut it like you couldn't come with me you wouldn't be able to like you know you wouldn't yeah, be able you'd to never be able to hang with me on my trips you'd totally you're too much of a girly girl you're too much of a rich girl like i'm a man of the world and you know could you eat this gross food <laughs> he might that might have been the time that he said to sh like tell, told her to shut up well you just shut up yeah just shut up <laughs> now shut up here shut up and then she's finally just like well i'm done she's i'm done leaving. with you yeah, yeah like i'm this is this is it then i'm done and he's like well when am i gonna see he you starts again getting real he's like <laughs> and he even he literally is like uh he literally says well, well can't we just keep things status quo for the time being <laughs> which is like what the heck commit or get off the pot man <laughs> so he's like all frantic she runs to the door and she's leaving and he's like, well, when am I going to see you again? And she's like, not for a long time, at least. Not until tomorrow night. <laughs> and then storms out. <laughs> and then runs away, which is just so funny because they make it seem like it really did it's get over. kind of like heated. Yeah. yeah, like even though they're both being really like silly and like dramatic, like you do think that maybe for a second, like, OK, here we go. But nope. She's like, no, it's so good. Just in the moment, and it really seems like she she's like processing things, and even in like even in that like five seconds, she's already coming, kind of getting over it. Like she's already kind of folding a little bit. Yeah, she's like, well, okay, like, not no, like I'm not, not gonna... forever, okay. <laughs> yeah. But she can't let down the the 
the energy. So yeah. she's she... <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny. Goodbye, Jeff. Well, you mean good night. I mean what I said. Well, well, Lisa, couldn't we just uh couldn't we just keep things status quo? Without any future. Well, when am I going to see you again? Not for a long time. At least, not until tomorrow night. When am I going to see you again? <laughs> not for a, not long, for a time. long time. At least, At least, not until tomorrow. Not until tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny. There's a cool interview with the writer of the movie and. So Grace Kelly had been in a previous Hitchcock movie, Dial M for Murder, which was in 1954. So just a, uh, what was that? Oh, just right before this. Wait, Dial M for Murder and Rear Window came out the same year? That's impossible. That's Is that true? Anyway, the writer felt like she was kind of stiff in it and wasn't really expressive and was a little bit you know maybe withheld and so he actually spent a lot of time with her hanging out with her and um, kind of getting to know her because I think she had already been cast in this movie but in the book there was no Lisa character at all not hmm. just in, in name literally but there was no like female it was just a guy alone watching people and so they wanted to add this character and so he wanted to get to know her because he wanted to he essentially based the character on Grace Kelly. When I spent a week and a half or so with Grace Kelly, I discovered that she was full of good humor. She was bright. She was snappy. She had all the characteristics of uh, being able to, to uh, be an actress. But in Dial M for Murder, I thought she was rather stiff and cool, but she was new to the business. And she acted like a... Um, a student or so learning her craft and uh, Hitch alluded to that he said she's stiff and uh, we have to um, uh, you have to open her up somehow he said I don't know how you're going to do it but uh, if you create a character it's got to have life to it so I gave her a lot of sprightly life and enjoyed doing it and, and she enjoyed playing it uh, but this was just kind of uh, for the most part based on her actual kind of um, disposition and, and, and just like vibe, which I thought was really cool and adds just to how, how great she is in this. Yeah, it was literally written for her, huh? That's neat. But the character, and I think the character setup, was actually based on the writer's wife. Because hmm. his wife was a model. Interesting. Grace Kelly's performance in Rare Window was a reflection of two things. One of her natural temperaments and her natural style and uh, what I borrowed from my wife on whom I based the Grace Kelly character. My wife had been a professional model and I knew the world and the jargon and everything else and uh, then I added my own humor. As a matter of fact, there were some things in the film that my wife on seeing the uh, preview, would turn to me and say, now, where do you suppose that came from? Two great ladies, I guess. Very cool. Combined for a great character. One of the best in film history. 
It's cool. It's a love letter to his wife, I guess. Yeah, a, a little bit. bit. <laughs> Though, too bad that he had to do that to her. Hopefully I know. He didn't <laughs> Jimmy Stewart too much. Yeah. Poor Lisa. Like, I was definitely Jimmy Stewart in this. <laughs> One cool thing we were talking about how so much of this movie is from LB Jeffrey's perspective, and most of it is like seeing a character's point of view, you know, and seeing things from that viewpoint. Apparently, and I think this was from the interview with John Michael Hayes as well, they uh, actually measured the height of the character's eyes for their POV shot. So if we were seeing something from LB Jeffrey's point of view, the camera would have been literally at his eye level in the wheelchair. So just the attention to detail and the level of like care put into making the movie immersive, feel immersive and feel make us feel connected to it. And like we are in those character shoes, literally. And it, like I said, I don't know. There's a great saying from red letter media's Mr. Plinkett, uh, <laughs> but you know, you might not have noticed, but your brain did. And I, I do think all those factors really play into why you can watch this six, seven, eight times and, and a year, you know, or every couple of years and never get tired of it. And just, it, it kind of, blossoms the more you watch it in my opinion i feel like i like it more each time it's one of those movies it makes sense even more why you feel as though you feel like you are looking out your window because you are you're yeah you're seeing everything from his point of view literally yeah as much as possible it's you know and no one would ever be able to notice that like you know the average film goer but um I, you know Hitchcock is so enduring. Those are those reasons, you know, those are those little things I think that really put it all together. Uh, this movie is very uh, voyeuristic, you know, in a, in a quite literal sense of watching people, you know, voyeurism, not, you know, sexually, but <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe a little bit. Eh, those, those bathing beauties, that might have been a little sexual. <laughs> no, and when he's watching the dancer, I mean, Hitchcock definitely you know, is an embracer of the idea that sex sells and he uses it to like hook people's attention. Like in the first five minutes of the movie, we see the dancer, you know, Ooh. we never see anything, but yeah, she takes her top off and there's definitely implications. We're like, what's going on over there? And she bends over with the top off at one point. It's um, yeah, like so right you, you know, away. Yeah. Very, very early. And then the sunbathing beauties up uh, upstairs. Um, so he's definitely, he knows what he's doing. And um, so no, there's a little bit of that voyeurism too. But in the interview with Truffaut, Hitchcock was talking, Truffaut kind of brings up how it's voyeuristic and how, you know, there's been some negative responses to that aspect, that there's something like bad about the film. And Hitchcock basically said it was like human nature to to like want to see what's happening if you, if you have the chance to. And he he was like, if everybody was able to see into their neighbors, like their pretty neighbor's apartment while she's changing or, or even if uh, it's just a guy walking around, you know, smoking a cigarette, nine out of 10 people are going to watch and see if anything happens. Like want to know, you know, I'll bet you nine people out of 10, if they see something across, like a woman undressing and going to bed, or even sometimes a man pottering around his room doing nothing, nine people out of 10 will stay and look. 
Ils sont là à regarder. Ils ne se détourneront pas en disant ça ne me regarde pas. Et retireront leur volet. Ils ne le feront pas. J'ai entendu cette interview avec David Fincher à un point où il parlait de being kind of a voyeuristic filmmaker and he's like you know basically i've bet my whole career on people being kind of weirdo creeps and like voyeurs basically and it's like it's like paid off big time for me so like um another filmmaker that just kind of acknowledges that everybody's a little bit of a weirdo i think people are perverts i've maintained that that's been i that's the foundation of my career Well, I mean, people watching. Isn't that like the, like, I feel like that's the biggest pastime. Like, (laughs) you know, like everybody likes to go to a, I mean, probably not anymore, a mall. (laughs) You sit in the food court and you look at people. That was like a, I remember that was the thing you did (laughs) for a while. Like, we kind of talked about this before, but like, I feel like now it's almost like kind of a, a trope to to have people watching two people will be on a date and they'll be it's different you know it's not like the same boundaries because you're in a in a public place right but like it's the the same same instinct of just being curious and i mean that's like god i mean we live in the internet age where it's literally all you do is watch people yeah yeah, going on people's pages and kind of seeing what they're doing it's all it's all uh expedited voyeurism really yeah 100 percent. one thing that hitchcock also mentioned in his interview with Truffaut, which this one was really interesting because i feel like um it's kind of a crazy thing to admit but Franz Waxman, who was a uh, a veteran composer in the industry, he had done a few movies at least with Hitchcock. Uh, he is credited as the composer for Rear Window, but soundtrack for the film is diegetic, which means it's in the in the movie, like it's music from the apartments, or it's people talking, or it's you know horns honking. That's almost everything, uh, except for the opening and closing. Uh, music um and uh the closing titles are you know it's uh the song lisa uh which you know is the song that the pianist there's a struggling pianist and by the end of the film he figures it all out and he writes this beautiful song called lisa and that's what's playing as we um see kind of the happy ending for all these characters we've grown to love over the course of the movie and it's a piano song and it's a little bit cheesy and a little bit like uh slow and kind of um old-fashioned is like lisa you know the one Hitchcock regretted that was his like one regret with the movie was hiring Franz Waxman to do that song because he he wanted like a real pop hit like something that could be actually played on the radio it sounded like I'll play the clip from the interview here and I made a mistake in having that type of man because I was very anxious, Parce que j'étais très anxieux to get from it a popular song 
d'en obtenir une, une chanson populaire de ce film. Et j'aurais dû avoir un type qui écrivait des chansons populaires pour le faire. Et j'ai fait une erreur, parce que je voulais cette musique. Je voulais ce musicien. Je voulais qu'il entende. Je voulais qu'on l'entende composer la chanson, créer la chanson. Et à travers le film, qu'on entende le développement de cette chanson. C'est joué sur un disque avec un plein orchestre. Et qu'on puisse s'en servir. Ça n'a pas marché, j'ai été très déçu. Je trouvais ça fascinant, parce que c'est une vraie chanson. Elle fonctionne totalement avec le film. Et je suis juste surpris qu'il s'en servait whether or not it was popular like it sounded like he wanted to make sure he had like a radio song and um i thought that was really fascinating that's so funny it's like even hitchcock is somebody who would put a ridiculously out of place pop song as the credit sequence for their movie <laughs> yeah it seems like so many great movies have just the worst credit songs it's like this beautiful movie with a beautiful soundtrack And then, like, the credits start, and it's like, I don't know what's going on. You're like, what the fuck is happening? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like a complete 180. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's just, like, does not fit the vibe of the movie at all. I often will, you know, be, like, passed out by the end of a movie, but then by the point that the really upbeat pop song that doesn't make any sense with the theme of the movie or like what just happened with the conclusion every time that comes on it will wake me up <laughs> and then i will wake wake me up <laughs> wake speaking me of up great inside. music from movies <laughs> <laughs> daredevil uh, classic so you know maybe that's part of it maybe they're like Yeah, Hopefully nobody fell asleep during yeah. our movie. And so just to not embarrass ourselves. People <laughs> like, need to drive home. We're not going to be liable for We need people to wake up so that yeah. they can. Oh, we can pretend. Be like, oh, yeah. I loved it. That was, was great. Yeah. <laughs> you caught the ending, right? That thing. Oh, happened yeah. To that, to that guy. And oh, yeah. It, was, it all it wrapped was great. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. There is a degree. I bet there is a degree of that, to be honest. You're probably <laughs> dead on. <laughs> Gotta, you need to get the endorphins pumping to, <laughs> yeah, like trick people into thinking they like the movie. It works too. It's all good in the, music can go a long way. The you know, it's all in the package of like the 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 pop music and then the um candy and the popcorn and the yeah, sodas. Oh yeah. oh yeah, and then they keep the the you know, well not anymore because like who goes to the movies anymore? But like they keep the yes. theater very cold so that you will try to stay awake but there's nothing worse than for being me, in a hot theater you know there's sometimes it's unavoidable you're cold you fall asleep you're warm you fall asleep it's you're tired you fall asleep you're awake you so fall asleep you're just a sleeper i swear i'm part We're narcoleptic yeah i don't know i'm definitely part insomniac <laughs> you're a little country can... i'm a little rock and roll baby <laughs> you and me opposites attract <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Two steps forward. Two steps. <laughs> uh, you do good. You've gotten better too. <laughs> Thank you. The last 25 to 75% of the movie. The Zodiac is great ending, by the way. I can't <laughs> wait for you to finish it and be able to talk to you about it. Yeah. One who, of my favorites. <laughs> who, who's the killer? <laughs> I'll have to watch it and not fall asleep. <laughs> 
maybe four different <laughs> sit downs, little bite sized. Yeah. We'll just cut to the end at one point. It's a, it's a great ending. It really is. I'll fall asleep and, and, and I'll wake up and you'll have, it, it'll only be, you know, like five minutes, but you'll fast forward to the very end and be like, oh, you woke up just in time. <laughs> oh, this is a cool thing. I should have said this earlier, but LB Jeffries is a photographer. He uses his camera as a telescope to get closer views of all his neighbors. He'll, he'll kind of pan around in the telescope. We'll see that point of view, a lot of the film. But one thing, this is another thing I didn't really think about till the last couple times we'd watched it, but he never takes a single photograph the whole movie. He's a photographer. He's got his camera pointed at all this stuff. The whole movie, he's trying to convince people of what's going on. And I realized Take a snapshot. He's holding, he is a close up of him holding the ring. Seriously. Take a snapshot. He's got so many close, he's got the close up of him uh, putting the knives in newspaper. He's got big, uh, a big saw and a big machete that he, you know, he's pretty sure he used to cut up his wife. Take a picture. Yeah. Because then his detective friend comes over, uh, Thomas J. Doyle, and he could have been taking pictures and showing, at least having pictures. He'd be like, isn't it kind of weird this guy's wrapping up these giant knives and, newspaper and i just thought that was fascinating more so i get why you couldn't because it might make the story move a little faster and you might not get as much you know you might not get as far into the movie before people take them seriously but also the fact that you don't think about it like i don't understand how that never registered to me i feel like i was duped somehow because it's it's kind of a big thing that he didn't take any pictures of this even as a photographer it is pretty wild he could have had a great series of photos called the murder <laughs> and all these different, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even a great photos like thing project. <laughs> yeah. There are like times where that totally would have come in handy, but then it would have yeah. been like, Oh yeah. Then the, his cop friend would have gone over like way like, sooner. Oh, yeah, and then like, yeah. Crazy. Then like if she saw the, you know, if he took a picture of the purse with the jewelry, then she wouldn't even have had to like go over there and like check it out and like see what's going right. on. Or maybe she would have still, but like it totally would have, would have prevented. Definitely could have changed prevented. things, yes, and killed some of the suspense and tension building. I never thought about it either. Um, he does like use his, does he use binoculars? At some point, but he definitely uses his camera. He's like sitting back far and he I mean, puts on his iconic, like big yeah. lens. That big, the big fatty. Yeah. It's <laughs> it was, uh, perfectly placed on their apartment and he just, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's never binoculars. I'm almost positive it's always <laughs> through the lens because he even passes it around. She's like, let me see that thing of yours or whatever fake things that you remember from movies like the yeah. Star Wars. Maybe I, mean, I, I definitely could be wrong, but, but I was watching, but that did, that did really kind of blow my mind. Again, mostly that I just like never, never registered. Yeah. He's like, why doesn't he take a picture <laughs> ever? Maybe it's because everybody's so, so like poo pooing him. 
even the flashes at the end are just flashes. Even then I was like, take a picture. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I guess that's right, right? Like he's totally thinks this guy is a murderer and he thinks that he's like coming to his home and like possibly maybe he will Wouldn't like you want pictures hurt of him. The yeah, guy he who would, killed you. He would totally would. Yeah, it would be <laughs> if proof. he kills you that at least they build to know who it was. Oh yeah. Even freaking even in Harry Potter, he uh cute little uh what's his name who loves oh, yeah, Harry? Totally. Um I can't think of his name. Uh, Colin Creevy, yeah. Colin Creevy. He takes yeah, pictures. He takes a picture of the yeah, basilisk. the basilisk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah, what the heck? It's his profession. And maybe he just thought it'd take Wasted. too long to develop, but as a professional photographer, I assume he'd have access to pretty quick turnaround on developing a negative. Well, shouldn't he even photo? Yeah. Sh- I feel like developing film that's the one he would have had i feel like he would have been able to even like a day or i don't know i don't know much about how film works but i feel like you would have been able he would have been able to like have the negative have a black room he could have just like shared and like check this out yeah exactly with the mic totally you'd be able to see enough but interesting not a criticism the fact that i didn't notice if anything it's a criticism of myself <laughs> and um my abilities of perception another interesting thing just from that talking about his point of view in the camera according to Truffaut, that interview uh, the only objective scene in the whole movie is when the dog dies and you start seeing actual close-ups and different perspectives it's not all from lb jeffrey's view but you're seeing everybody in the courtyard kind of coming out and i guess the ending once shit starts to hit the fan and everything's going crazy we see different points of view but even those might be pov shots of neighbors and the detectives running on so that even might be subjective still but i thought that was interesting and Truffaut specifically pointed that out and it's the only moment in which the uh, direction changes its its party viewpoint point view party the point of view it's your yes, point it, is, yeah. it becomes purely objective it does for that moment yeah. oui c'est vrai pour ce moment c'est ça he also talked about how in that context so the scene with the dog i think is one of the first times you get a wide shot of the courtyard mm. and Hitchcock mentioned you start with a wide shot to establish your scene and then you move into close-ups once you've kind of established every character's relationship to each other in the setting and most of the movie is done in close-ups because again we're seeing it in his lens so you can't really get you know unless he had a super wide lens you still get the spatial awareness because there's a long tracking shot in the open where they're showing all the apartments and they kind of swing around the whole village but the scene is established with close-ups and most of the movie is told with close-ups and they use the wide shot when the dog is killed for a dramatic effect when Truffaut mentioned this Hitchcock basically was like uh, a wide shot may be very useful in a dramatic moment why waste it for setting the scene in terms of using the long shot for dramatic purposes and not for merely establishing something. Uh, for example, uh, the other day uh, I was doing this hour show, and we had a scene in a police station. A man comes in to give himself up. So uh, I sat up by the desk and the door, Alors, but I didn't bother to show the whole set. 
J'ai fait le bureau et la porte, mais je n'ai pas montré tout le plateau. So they said, aren't you going to show the, Alors, the police station, the whole thing? Vous n'avez pas montré le tout, tout le commissariat? I said, why? J'ai dit, pourquoi? The sergeant has three stripes on his arm, right near the camera. Il y a trois, trois trucs sur le bras, qui est près du, de la caméra. C'est suffisant pour établir que c'est un commissariat. That long shot may be very useful to you. In a dramatic moment. Cette longue prise utile dans un moment dramatique. Pourquoi la gaspiller? Again, Hitchcock is so influential that a lot of these things aren't like groundbreaking, but it is cool. Like I do think all those add into the what makes the movie so rewatchable and so fun and just interesting. Even though, again, you're not you're in one setting, you're really stuck inside this guy's apartment and inside this courtyard. You know, our only real peek out into the the world outside is there's an alleyway where you can see um, a restaurant and a street. And that's like really the only times we get like a hint of the world beyond and cars and people live in. Everything else is really this small cast of characters in this enclosed little circle. It's kind of almost like a ride, like haunted yeah, mansion, totally. kind of like. Yeah, exactly. That's the feeling. You're brought in and just kind of like you know, introduced to these like individual scenes, like up close and kind of just like dragged along through it. And like, you know, like you're, you're in it. And then the, the, the wide shot with the dog, you then are just kind of like brought in almost like center stage. And then it like opens everything up and you get more of like a substantial like idea of everything. It's interesting you say that it makes a lot of sense why my professor did that, <laughs> you know, assignment yeah. because even though we see all of the apartments like so frequently like you like we were saying like we get to know the characters and everything but you don't really see like maybe you do more than I really remember but I feel like you like you were saying you it feels like more of like close up shots like it feels like more like yeah. Focused on individual apartments or Slices individual in, people. Yeah. yeah. It definitely is. And so it can that even though they're all stuck in one spot, nobody ever moves. Everybody's always in the same place. That's what kind of like makes it still like kind of confusing for your senses. Like where is everybody yeah. located? Like it is still kind of easy to like lose your uh position kind of in the world yeah yeah your sense of place and and actually you talking about that made me think too that it also adds to like the visual variety even though we are in one location the whole movie each apartment does have its own kind of energy and color scheme and kind of its own movie happening where like miss lonely hearts is a tragedy for the most part and is very like sad and kind of depressing you know at one point uh, she's going to like kill herself, they think. Yeah. And that's like during the big climax when she breaks into the murder's apartment, who is played by Raymond Burr. You have his apartment where it's like a love drama and like a ends up being kind of like a murder movie. You have the pianist who's in, you know, kind of like a romantic artist movie. The oh, The couple with the dog are just, you know doing their thing i guess they other than the dog dying they don't have too much also they sleep on their balcony they bring their mattress out because it's so hot and i love that aspect of the movie i want to do that i wish i could sleep out on the patio on the balcony well it makes it even more like that comfy hominess right because it feels like 
everybody's kind of I don't know having like a sleepover (laughs) kind of yeah Yeah. in the neighborhood makes me think about during quarantine when everybody was like out on their balconies and stuff and it felt like everybody was like everybody was at home together you know and you it felt like a little bit of yeah a camaraderie almost yeah yeah, totally (laughs) oh but the characters too right the dancer she's also an interesting story she's got like a a crazy storyline yeah. she has a all of these like romance for sure she's like has a dance partner who she rehearses with she has somebody come over and they like rehearse and like have like a you know like a lesson and then she has men come over some suitors like she also then at the very end has like a love right like she has like her lover comes home to her from war which lisa knew all along yeah she's got a little cute red-headed guy who comes in and the first thing he asks about is where the food is she's always (laughs) eating that's kind of her thing and then the thing with her eating that's kind of fun is she's contrasted she has a downstairs neighbor who's an artist and she's working on a sculpture which is kind of like a person looks like a person the form of a human with a big hole in their stomach and at one point she says it's hunger and it's ironic that she's making a statue called hunger and upstairs uh that she's a dancer who just won't stop eating and they they you know uh lisa and lb jeffries kind of joke about how she always eats and and another cool thing with the neighbor downstairs uh another detail that never really fully registered was she has a a little box necklace with like a box uh, on her chest that um, has a dial for volume. And I kind of always thought it was like a radio that she was like listening to a radio and it was like speakers. So it was close by her, her ears, you know, um, so she could keep it with her like a portable radio that she just hung on her neck. But we watched uh, Twin Peaks to return recently. And in that David Lynch's character, Cole, he's deaf and he has a hearing aid that is a device that hangs on his neck and is a little box with a dial he can twist and this after rewatching that and then watching this i was like oh my gosh she's deaf and that's her hearing aid and so there's a few moments in the movie where she adjusted that make a lot more sense now like the dancer upstairs is dancing and she's really annoyed at the noise and she angrily twists her dial to turn it down <laughs> so she can literally turn down the noise upstairs yeah. And then at other points, we hear people talking to her really loud, and she has to turn it up really fast. So I basically got those inverted, where I thought she was turning her radio up or her radio down to hear people, but really she was turning the volume on her hearing aid up and down. So that was uh, another cool little thing that was uh, noticed on repeated viewings. There's just so many little intricate details like that that you can watch it and like literally not even like fully absorb what you see it but you don't really like there's just so much going on and you're just kind of um along for the ride it's an older technology for for me you know and us and that's why it didn't fully register but but there's yeah yeah and and just so many so many layers to the characters that you don't really need to know for the main story but just add so much depth to the world that make it so so immersive so cool it makes you want to lean into that voyeurism too with which you know you're talking about with david fincher we're yeah. all just a little a little, a little pervy. perverts <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> not me. No, 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 no. Absolutely not me. Jacques, <laughs> Jacques, how do you say Jacques? Is that it? You accuse? Jacques. Jacques. <laughs> well, Rebecca, another Hitchcock movie. <laughs> That was a good, good inspired one. Inspired Phantom Thread. <laughs> Another one of our favorite movies. This was wonderful. Yeah, this was fun. Let's do it again. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> will. You will be back on. Well, we'll see what people say. There's been a lot of people have been raging to have Josh back on. I've been getting a ton of messages about Josh. Josh back, is very so. fun. I understand. <laughs> <was really> good. <laughs> I do understand. I hope you'll take no. me back. Please take me <laughs> <Of> back. <course. laughs> what should we talk about next? I don't know. Talked about Vampire's Kiss is a fun one. Yeah, we almost did Vampire's Kiss, which would be really fun. We love some Hilarious some movie. Nicolas Cage, some good old vintage Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. Yes. Here at uh, Log It and here at our home. <laughs> and He's your favorite for sure. Yeah, that'd be a fun one. Well, awesome. Any last words to the listeners? Now, this is your introduction. They've seen your art. Now they're seeing your personality and wonderful, you know, you're the Grace Kelly of my life. Oh, well, thank you. I, I have nothing to say other than thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Well, this was great. Uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, me and Ian have a new uh, kind of shorter episodes we're going to start doing either that just came out or it's about to come out so please check that out uh, it's a lot of fun and Becca tell the people go watch a movie go watch a movie <laughs>